Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you would, for our call to worship this morning, turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We'll begin at verse 15. Very, very familiar passage. <clears throat> for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt <clears throat> thou wilt say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the, the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory? Our most heavenly Father, we thank you again this day for the many mercies you showed to us, Lord, were mercy beggars, undeserving sinners, but Lord, through your will and forbearance, you give us all thanks. We'd ask you to be with us. We thank you for the message you, we heard this morning. We'd ask you to bless it to our hearts. Be with our brother as he brings forth the next message and cause it to go forth, Lord, with power. Allow us to see through a glass darkly that we might know about you. Be with the sick and infirm, Lord, that are among us that struggle daily, we'd ask you to give them strength, show mercy to them, Lord, as you see fit. We thank you for all these things in the most holy and per perfect name. Amen. We'll stand again, and if you'll grab your hardback hymnal, turn to 168, we'll sing Even Me Together. Lord, I hear of showers of blessing Thou art scattering full and free Showers the thirsty land refreshing Let some drops now fall on me Even me, even me Let thy blessing fall on me Pass me not, O tender Savior, let me love and cling to Thee. I am longing for Thy favor, whilst Thou art calling, O call me. Even me, even me, let Thy blessing 
blessing fall on me. Pass me not, O mighty Spirit, Thou canst make the blind to see. Witnesser of Jesus' merit, Speak the word of power to me. Even me, even me, Let thy blessing fall on me. Love of God so pure and changeless, Blood of Christ so rich and free, Witness of God so strong and boundless, Magnify them all in me. Even me, even me, Let thy blessing fall on me. Pass me not thy lost ones bringing, Bind my heart, O Lord, to thee. While the streams of life are springing, Blessing others, O bless me. Even me, even me, Let thy blessing fall on me. Be seated, please. Thank you, Joy, Adam. <clears throat> Let's open our Bibles together to 1 Samuel chapter 26. <clears throat> Perhaps you've uh, read the end of a story before you started the beginning of it. See how it all ends up. Um, if you'll take your spiral hymnal right now with me and turn it to number 27, we're going to close this service by singing this hymn together. <clears throat> In Jesus we are free, free from the law's great curse. In Jesus we are free, for Christ became a curse for us and died upon the tree. The rituals of the law and all the law's commands have been fulfilled in Christ the Lord, established by his hands. I hope that in the next few minutes that hymn will have a, a blessing to give to our hearts. The Lord will bless our hearts by it when we stand to sing it together. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, we have a, an Old Testament type. We have a picture. David and Saul. Saul is pursuing David relentlessly. And we have in this chapter the final pursuit. Saul in his jealous rage is out to kill David. Saul has 3,000, the, the scripture says, choice men 
warriors. David, in contrast, has 600 men who came to him who were discontented and, and, and in debt and distressed, uh, just a, a motley band of men who had no place else to go. And we see in this picture the strength of the law over us. Um, and how relentless the law is in pursuing us. Apart from the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, being honorable. And that's what he is in this chapter. David is honorable. David has an opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. And David and Saul part ways at the end of this chapter. And the scripture says that David went his way and Saul returned to his place. You see that in the last verse of this chapter? David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Saul had no place else to go but his place. (laughs) His place was to reign. And I want us to see in this type, in this picture, how the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled with the law. David and Saul never meet again. We've been looking at Saul and David for the last several months, and they're going to part ways. David's going to go his way. Saul's going to go back, back to his place. And in the next couple of chapters, Saul's going to die, and David and Saul are never going to see each other again. <clears throat> Saul's name, you remember, by translation means one to be desired. One who is, the scripture says, uh, more beautiful than anyone in Israel. He physically stood, the scripture says, head and shoulders above all the other men of Israel. And what a picture of the law he is. We love God's law. God's law is holy. God's law is just and God's law is good. God's law can't make us holy. And God's law can't justify us before God. And God's law can't add any goodness to us. Paul said, and I've quoted this once already this morning, to will is present with me. God's law is beautiful. (laughs) It is a display of his glory. And when we look to God's law, we see the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's law can't save me. It's head and shoulders above everyone else. I need my David to reconcile with that law. In this life, we have trials and troubles and tribulations, many of them. Disappointments, discouragements, disease, and death, just to name a few. And there are spiritual enemies that believers deal with every day. The flesh is weak. That's a spiritual enemy. Satan is real. Sin is perpetual. 
And the world in which you and I live is contrary to everything we love and everything we believe to be true. In these daily battles with all the wounds and losses that we experience, there is a war that we cannot afford to lose, a war that must be won. There is an enemy that, if lost to, will condemn our souls to an eternal separation from God. I'm speaking of the curse of the law. As beautiful as God's law is, as much as we love God's law, God's law has a curse to it. And that's what I want you to see in Saul's relentless pursuit of David, the curse of the law. In the very beginning, the Lord tells us, in the day in which you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit that's been forbidden, you shall surely die. And he wasn't just talking about physical death. He was talking about separation from God. That's the curse of the law, death. All of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. You see, this curse of the law has to be, has to be met. You and I are not able to satisfy the demands of God's law. The Apostle Paul thought that he had when he tells his testimony of his life before the Lord arrested him on the road to Damascus. He said this of himself. He said, concerning the law, I was blameless. Now what he meant by that was, No other man could look at my life and find an outward violation of God's law. I was head and shoulders above everyone else. And then in Romans chapter 7, he said, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, when the Spirit of God took the meaning of the law of God, And brought it home to my heart. When the commandment came. Sin revived and I died. The law slew me. The law of God is inflexible. It demands absolute perfection. Paul tells us in that same passage that the law was never given to save. The law was given in order to make sin utterly sinful. The law was given for the purpose of killing us, not making us alive. Causing us to to have our mouth shut before God. (laughs) That's what the law does. It gives us no defense. It it requires absolute perfection. They asked the Lord, which is the greatest of the commandments? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. And implied in that answer clearly is all the time. 
The truth is we've never learned, we've never for one moment loved God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our minds. And we've never loved our neighbor as we do ourselves. That's what the Lord summarized the law. You and I have never been able to keep any part of God's law, but law, God's law stands firm. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And you can mark this passage because we're going to come back to it in a moment. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What is the curse of the law? Death. Eternal separation from God. And by the way, let me say this, and hear me clearly on this, please. No man speaking, the scripture says, by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus Christ accursed. No man can say that. Now, to be accursed means to be under the wrath and judgment of God without any hope of redemption. To even suggest that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God for one individual who will end up in hell is to call the Lord Jesus Christ accursed. You see that? To even suggest that the judgment and wrath of God that the Lord Jesus experienced on Calvary's cross was not effectual in saving one person, one person for whom he died. See, that's the modern gospel, isn't it? Christ died for everybody. God loves everybody. That's calling Jesus Christ accursed. And no man speaking by the Spirit of God can call the Lord Jesus accursed. So if a man says that Christ died for somebody who's going to end up in hell, they're not speaking by the Spirit of God. They're speaking by another spirit. Try the spirits and see whether they be of God. Galatians chapter 3. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. God requires perfect obedience to his law. Not just in outward behavior as the Apostle Paul was so proud of. Concerning the law is blameless in the eyes of men. But when the eyes of God pierced into my heart, <laughs> then sin revived and I died. I knew that I'd never kept God's law. He slew me by his law. That's where God requires the keeping of the law. Just, not just washing, whitewashing the tomb, but it's full of dead man's bones. Cleaning up the outside of the cup, but it's full of corruption. You see, the problem's in the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. God sees that in your heart and in my heart that it's deceitful and desperately wicked. No man has ever been able to keep God's law in any way from the heart in a way that satisfies the justice and the holiness and the righteousness of God. Only Christ could do that. 
David's going to reconcile with Saul. And uh, we need the Lord Jesus to reconcile with the curse of the law because that's one. We, we might lose a lot of skirmishes. We might lose a lot of battles, but we can't lose that war. That war has got to be won. It's got to be won, and only Christ can win it. The law is persistent. <laughs> the law will pursue a man after the grave. Physical death will not stop it. There's no statute of limitation when it comes to God's law. God's law will pursue the soul of a man who has hoped in his obedience to the law for, the, for his salvation. The law of God will pursue that man for eternity. And you know what I'm talking about. The law of God's omniscient. <laughs> there's no cold cases with God's law. There's no, there's no cases filed away and forgot about. The law of God sees everything and knows everything. Has perfect knowledge of every thought and every word and every deed that you and I have ever, have ever done. That's God's law. How are we going to deal with that? And God's law is omnipotent. It's all-powerful. It lacks no ability to exact the full penalty for the violation of God's law. Now that's what you and I have pursuing us. Psalm 111, David said, his work, speaking of Christ, is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. And then Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 42, the Lord is well pleased, and thereby, Lord, he's speaking of the Father. The Father is well pleased. This is my beloved Son. In him I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. <laughs> he's the one who's kept the law. The Lord or the Father is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and he will make it honorable. The Lord Jesus Christ magnified the law. The purpose of the law is not to save. The purpose of the law is to show the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, he's the one who magnified it. He's the one who kept it. He's the one who made it honorable. He's the one who satisfied the curse of it. The Lord Jesus himself said, I came not to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. <laughs> I came to satisfy all of its demands. This past Wednesday night, we were looking at John chapter 2 of the first miracle that our Lord performed when he went to the wedding feast at Cana and he changed the water into wine. And the Bible calls that 
the beginning of miracles or the arch miracle or the one miracle that explains everything. If you understand the miracle of the wedding feast at Cana where the Lord Jesus took the water in those wash pots, filled them to the brim, and then drew out water and brought it to the master and it was the best wine. The Lord Jesus is declaring what all the Bible speaks of. You and I must have someone to fill the requirements of the law and to bring forth a new wine. New wine. And the new wine can't be put in old wineskins. A new heart has to be given to hold the new wine. This is God's work of grace. Lord, I've got to be delivered from the curse of the law. I've got to have a heart of faith. <laughs> to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to look to him and rest in him. Oh, Lord, how dependent I am. This law, I don't, I don't want to deal with. I can't, I, can't, I can't have anything to do with your law. The Lord told the children of Israel, if anyone even touches the mountain or gets close to the mountain, let him be put to death. Speaking of Mount Sinai. If an animal was to touch the mountain, it was to be pierced through and put to death. Nothing can touch God's law. God's law kills. God's law, well, as we said, it's, it's persistent, it's inflexible, it's omniscient, it's omnipotent. You don't want to have anything to do with God's law. If the Son make you free, you're free indeed. Free from what? The rigors and the curse of the law. That's what he came to do. To set us free. To put us under grace. To give us Christ. As our Lord, he's the one that we look to. He's the one that we follow after. You know, the, the law says this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so, in consistent with this inflexible law, if you lived in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Old Testament Israel, and you very, uh, the scripture gives an example of a man whose men that are working together cutting down wood with an axe. And the axe head flies off the handle of one of the men's axe and hits another man in the head and kills him. I mean, how much more accidental can a death be? But the law requires that the man who was killed, his next of kin, he's called the avenger of blood, that that man has to pursue the one who accidentally killed him in order for the law to be filled. Why? Because eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for a life. You kill my brother, I've got to kill you to fulfill the requirements of the law. And then the Lord made provisions. You remember what those provisions were? They were called cities of refuge. And the cities of refuge were scattered all around Israel. And there were signs pointing to the cities of refuge. You got into the city of refuge, you were safe. You were safe in that city. The avenger of blood could not pursue you as long as you were in that city. That city of refuge is Christ. 
Oh, we must flee to him. The avenger of blood, how much of our sin is not even thought about? We just, our sin is, now I'm not saying we, we accidentally sin, but we just, we just, it's just natural. The law requires retribution, full retribution. First Samuel chapter 26, David's final encounter with Saul. In the end, at the end of this chapter, go back with it with me if you will. In the end of this chapter, Saul will confess David's righteousness. He will place the sword of his jealousy and of his wrath back into its scabbard and he will go back to his place. And that's what you and I need. We need for Saul, this man who's head and shoulders above everyone, this man who was relentless in his pursuit for justice. We need him to put the sword of his wrath back into its scabbard and go back to his place. And for us, with our Lord David, to go to his place, his place. First Samuel chapter 26 on the Ziphites. And I looked that word up. The Ziphites were smelters. They were the ones who purified metal by fire, separating the impurities from the precious metal. They were the ones who pointed Saul to where David was. And the scripture says that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the fire of God's justice to purify himself and his people. He quenched that fire. He put that fire out. The smelters are the ones who send the law Tell him where David is. Go get him. They came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hachilah? Hachilah translated means dark. Which is before Jeshiram. And Saul rose and went down into the wilderness of Ziph. Now, Ziph just means wilderness. So where is David? David's in a dark wilderness. And the, the smelters have pointed him out to Saul. Now Saul knows where he is. We have no idea. The Lord Jesus Christ is called he, He's the man of many sorrows. You and I live in this world. We're so, we're so anesthetized. We're so accustomed to our own sin and to the sin of this world. I mean, it takes something really bad to, to bother us much. 
we're just, we're used to it, aren't we? When the Lord Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, came into this world, and suffered the contradiction, as we saw in the previous hour in Hebrews chapter 12, the contradiction of sinners. No wonder he's called the man of sorrows. That wasn't just the sorrows that he felt on Calvary's cross. His whole life was a life of sorrows. He saw, he saw all the sin of this world, this dark wilderness, like you and I have never seen it. Saul arose, look at verse 2, and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Achila, which is before Jeshimon, by the way, but David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, and David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. David wanted to make sure this was true. He sent out spies to confirm the report that Saul was pursuing him. You know, I thought about when I read that, all men know that there is a God with whom they must do. All men know that. People say that they're atheists. They're just lying to themselves. You know, well, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. There's no atheists on deathbeds. They, they, not, not, they know there's a God with whom they must do. They're holding on to the hope that he's not really pursuing me. David sent out spies to confirm that Saul was pursuing him. And then those spies came back and he said, yes, he is indeed. But the problem with most men is they won't send out spies to confirm their suspicions. They will, they will make a covenant with death and with hell they'll be in agreement and they'll, they'll listen to a false message of hope based upon their law keeping, something that they've done, where a false prophet will say, peace, peace, when in fact there is no peace. And they won't make the effort to send out spies and confirm the report. Saul is in pursuit, and he's got 3,000 chosen men, and he's right here in the very wilderness that you're in. He's coming for you. <laughs> oh, may God give us the grace right now, to send out spies. That's what we're doing. We're sending out spies into God's word. Is it true? Is it true? What am I saying to you? Don't take my word for it. Don't take your word. Don't, 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 don't somehow agree with your suspicions. What does God say about it? If God says it's true, then it's true. If God says, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I, if I feel the depth of my sin as much as I need to feel it in order to be saved. You're never going to feel the depth of your sin as you ought to feel it. God says you're a sinner. David sent out spies 
They came back with a report. Yes, Saul's coming. And David said, what, what do you, look, in very deed he is coming. Why? Because the report was confirmed by a word. David didn't yet see Saul. He didn't see the army, but he believed the report. Brethren, faith is just believing God. Don't settle for anything short of what God has said. And when, when men do send out spies into God's word to find out what the truth is, oftentimes they're like the ten spies that came back from... Uh, from when Moses sent them into the promised land and they came back and said, there's giants in the land, we can't take it. And they believed, they didn't believe Joshua and Caleb. They believed the other spies, didn't they? They believed, they took the word of the majority. Oh, brethren, what we believe about the gospel, what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about salvation it's not very popular. We're, we're, we're a remnant. We, we, what we believe is a very small part of what, of what most men believe. Don't believe the... Believe Joshua. Believe Caleb. <laughs> they came back with the truth. The other men... Eh, what happened to those Israelites who believed the report of the ten spies who refused to trust God and refused to take the promised land? What happened to those? They all died in the wilderness. They never made it to the promised land. They suffered the full curse of the law because they did not believe God. We're sending out spies right now. May God give us the faith to believe the report and say, truly, indeed, Saul's coming. And I can't stand up to him. Look at verses uh, 10 and 11. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him. Now David takes Abishai, his nephew, and he goes into the camp of King Saul at night while Saul's asleep. And David takes Saul's spear and cruise of water, the weapon of death. He takes it. And he ref Abishai wanted to kill David right there. David's sound asleep. We're standing right. He said that he, take it, he took it from his bolster. A bolster is a pillow. So the, the spear was actually sticking in the ground right at the head of Saul. And the cruise of water was sitting right there on the other side. And David picks them both up. And Abishai said, let me slay him right here. And David honorably says, I'm not going to put my hand to God's anointed. Let me just take his weapons away. I'm going to trust God to take care of, 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 of Saul. 
It's not my place. God anointed him king. It's not my place to kill him. And look what David says in verse 10. Verse 9, and David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or this day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. David trusted God alone to justify him with Saul. Turn with me to the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. And God is revealing these false prophets who would speak a word of peace when there was no peace. They're they're liars. They're not speaking for God. They're giving men a false hope to believe that somehow the law is not really after you. The law law can be be satisfied. The law somehow, you can can meet its requirements. Just do your best and God will be be satisfied. No, this is the message of the false prophets. Verse 9, yet Michael, the archangel, this word Michael, this name Michael, who is like God? We have a picture here of the angel of the Lord. I believe what's being spoken of here is none other than the Lord Jesus himself, who was arch over all the angels. Yet Michael, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now the body of, not talking about the physical body of Moses, talking about the law. So the devil is wanting to dispute with Christ over whether or not the law has been kept. Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, and he durst not bring an accusation. He does not bring against him a railing accusation and said, The Lord rebuke thee. What do we have a picture of? What, go back with me to our text. What did David say in verse 10? David said, Lord, God will take care of Saul. It's not my place to kill him. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you got an issue with the law, Satan? Accuser of the brethren? You go take it up with my father. For he saw the travail of my soul and he was satisfied. He saw the obedience of my life. (laughs) He saw my righteousness. And he said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm satisfied. The Lord rebuke thee. And that's what we need to do. The accusations of the law come. We don't need to take up a defense against it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
Look with me at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? Here's what we say. If God be for me, who can be against me? If God's satisfied, then the law cannot... I don't need to try to. I don't need to try to satisfy the law. I don't need to. No, God, God. David said the law. David said Saul's going to die in a battle, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. We're dead to the law. Christ satisfied the demands of the law in the battle that He fought on Calvary's cross. And if God be for us, for Christ's sake, who can be against us? Who can lay anything, look at verse 33, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. David forbids Abishai from killing, from killing Saul and says God will take care of him. We'll trust the Lord to look to the sacrifice that Christ made to satisfy the demands of God's law. Look back with me to our text at verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take thee now the spear that is in his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. And David took his weapon of death and David took his water and David went to the other side of the valley and David cried out. And Saul, look at, look at verse 17. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. David made the law honorable. Christ made the law. David was honorable. <laughs> and, and, and no one else knew that this was David. Saul knew it. The law only bows to the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, I pray thee, verse 19, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. So David's reasoning with Saul. He's saying, if it's God that put you in pursuit of me, then let God receive an offering to satisfy that, that pursuit, that, that guilt that I have. It was God. It was God that sent the law in pursuit of Christ. 
And it was the offering that the Lord Jesus made of himself on Calvary's cross that he presented to his father that satisfied the requirements of the law. But if they be the children of men that have sent you after me, if it be the voice of a man that says, I've got to do something to satisfy the requirements of the law, then let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. When our Lord hung his head on Calvary's cross and said, it is finished. He was declaring to Saul everything that God requires, everything that God requires to satisfy the demands of the law I have fulfilled. I came not to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. Look with me at verse 23. David's speaking now. David says, I've got the king's spear. Send one of your your young men over to fetch it. And verse 23, And the Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivereth thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes. Now notice the next phrase. David doesn't say, I spared your life, you spare my life. David says, I spared your life. So let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Oh, there's we have, brethren, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord did not sacrifice his justice in order to save his people. The Lord Jesus himself satisfied the requirements of God's holy justice. We might be saved. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So Saul's confession back to David, God's blessed you. You're going to do great things. And you're going to prevail. And David went his way. And Saul went back to his place. Now in closing, if you'll turn back with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 3 again. Galatians chapter 3.
Again, verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For those that are justified must walk in faith, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith and of our salvation. The one who is the end of the law for righteousness. The law is not a faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. The Lord Jesus Christ. Parted his way and the law went back to its place. Free from the law's great curse in Jesus we are free. Adam you come. Number 27 in our spiral hymnal. Let's stand together. Blood, blood. 
zone. We're going to observe the Lord's table um, while we're waiting for some people to get back. If you'll turn back to number 17 in the spiral bound hymnal, number 17, and you be seated.